and now I'll introduce today's guest. Our guest today belongs to a small and very elite group of leaders in the Canadian business and financial sector. Our guest today is one of the certain individuals whose vision, contributions, and direction setting have made such an indelible impression on the organization they lead or represent. And their name has become synonymous with it, Aspera Canada West, Global, Aselli, and Lazarus at RIM, in the same way people say Rick Waugh and think Scotiabank. And so they should. The relationship between the last, two, the last two has lasted close to 40 years, and by all accounts, it's still going strong. Over the last couple of years, governments of all over the world have poured hundreds of billions of dollars, probably trillions by now, to prevent the all-out collapse of their banking and financial sectors. Yet, in the third quarter this year, Scotiabank reported a net income of $931 million in record revenues for the second consecutive quarter. With over 69,000 employees, Scotiabank is Canada's third largest and most geographically diverse bank, and with offices throughout the Americas and in Asia. Credited with overseeing what some investors say is the best-run bank in Canada, the country that the Economic Forum just declared to have the soundest banking system in the world for the second year in a row, no one was surprised when Rick Waugh was appointed the co-chair of the International Committee on Market Best Practices by the Institute of International Finance. Working with the G20's top leaders and best financial and economic minds, his expertise in risk management, good governance, and shrewd strategies for sustainable growth is helping to shape the economic and fiscal policies that will govern the world's financial systems, trading exchanges, and regulatory frameworks. Today, he'll talk to us about the implications of his financial crisis, what it means for Canada, and the steps that are being proposed to help prevent it from happening again. Please welcome Rick Waugh, President and CEO of Scotiabank. Well, thanks, uh, John, for that, uh, that great introduction, because it's great to be here today. Actually, for a banker, it's great to get invited anywhere, you know, where you come. So we walked in, I heard a very strange sound. People were actually clapping, you know. Was, uh, we, we don't get that very often uh, in the last, uh, last few years, and probably never got it even before then. So it, it is really a, a, great, uh, a great opportunity to be here, John, and thank you, and Ernst and Young, for for sponsoring and, and for a great turnout and uh, I see uh, lots of colleagues and lots of friends and uh, that's great to, to, to have you here. It was the last time I addressed the Canadian Club was in 2005. It was in, it was in Montreal and that was 2005 and things have changed a heck of a lot. Boy have they ever. And uh, so today I'm going to address something I think that uh, is very relevant for all of us. It's called a world-class banking industry. And that's the Canadian experience, and I also think it's our Canadian opportunity. But I'll speak more on this in a little later, um, and, and, um, and some of the causes of the past two and a half years have caused this worst financial crisis, uh, not only in, in, in our careers, but in history. But I want to do it from a Canadian perspective. You know, here in Canada, and many years ago, uh, we did have an opportunity to, uh, to invent ourselves. You know, Sir Wilfrid Laurier addressed this club in 1904 and, and said that, well, the 19th century was America's great, great leap forward. The 20th century was Canada's to lead. Well, as such, based on our geography, our heritage, you know, we could aim high the best of British government, French culture, 
American technology. What did we end up with? American culture, French government, and English technology. <laughs> well, but really, and now, I think we've proven that we are stronger than the sum of our parts. We are stronger than our geography and our heritage, and we do have something, our unique Canadian model, to bring to the world. So even better than trying to copy others, I think we have the potential in what is now Canada's own unique way, our own Canadian identity, to make this century ours to make that leap forward. Importantly, others are starting to look at us in Canada as a true role model for the future. I know that we as Canadians like to poke fun at ourselves. We're humble. We often doubt ourselves. But we do, honestly, have a lot to be proud of. Because we've proven ourselves to be leaders in many areas, certainly in our strong economy and our values of fairness, decency, and democracy. So in particular, though, what I want to focus on today is the strength and the performance of our financial sector. And I'm sure you heard and John mentioned that during the crisis, the World Economic Forum ranked our banking system number one for the world in its stability. It has also similarly been ranked by the IMF, Standard & Poor's, and just most recently, Moody's. Beyond this recognition, we should also recognize that Canadian banks have not cost the Canadian taxpayer anything. In fact, Canadian banks, almost unique in the world and certainly the G7 world, have actually continued to pay tax and increasing government fees throughout the crisis. And I couldn't help but notice that it took a global crisis for the Canadian media to finally print a good story about our banks. <laughs> I'm not counting on it, but you know, they have done that. So seriously, Canada has earned the recognition, and we've received it on several levels. To have our financial system hold up so well during the crisis of such a magnitude is quite an achievement. And we should all feel proud about it and we should take advantage of it. So I'd like to take the first part of my time with you to discuss some of the reasons, the overriding reasons, why we are succeeding, why our banks, our financial system, and indeed our country remains in a strong position. Then with these successes in mind, I'll make a few recommendations aimed at rebuilding a better global financial network things that I do see as critical not only for the success of the recovery, but also for long-term Canadian and global prosperity. So let's look at the Canadian financial system. I call it a system that is based on good governance. Canada's system is strong, top to bottom. We have good public governance, strong fiscal, monetary, and regulatory oversight, and we have good, prudent management of our financial institutions. Looking at our governance, Canada has had a solid macroeconomic policy framework that has produced excellent results. Our debt levels have remained very manageable. They not only compare favorably to the G7, 
by most measures, they are the absolute best. We've also benefited from a consistent and an effective monetary policy that has shown a firm grasp of the issues and has kept inflation low and stable. Canada also has, beyond doubt, a strong financial sector and a regulatory approach. We have a national, federally regulated banking system. The legislation is governed in the financial sector in the Bank Act, in Parliament. It is strong and it is comprehensive, but it also allows for change and evolution, a necessary component of today's world. Canada's banking system has benefited from strong oversight, our national regulatory body, the Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, OSFI as we know it. OSFI works independently, but it is open to dialogue with our banks. And this has been augmented by both formal and informal dialogues with the Bank of Canada and the Ministry of Finance. Canada was one of the first jurisdictions to implement Basel II, a more demanding international regulatory standard, but only, only after a long, rigorous, and expensive process to ensure the integrity of our system and the new Basel regulations. In addition, as an added precaution, OSFI also retained proven safeguards, such as leverage ratios, additional capital buffers, intensive on-site inspections, and its own self and peer evaluation of its performance. As well, the government and the Bank of Canada also ensured a uniquely conservatively structured mortgage market through the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, CMHC, and produced other safeguards as well. The strength of Canada's regulatory leadership led the G20 just a few months ago to name Canada as co-chair of a group responsible for improving regulatory regulation and transparency. OSFI is also actively involved as a member of both the Financial Stability Board and the Senior Supervisors Groups, the two preeminent international regulatory bodies. Another important part of our system is that, sorry, I missed a page here. Another important part of our system is that unlike the United States, all of our Canadian major investment dealers are owned by banks and have been managed and regulated on a consolidated basis for over 25 years. This has resulted in an integrated banking model under a single regulatory and management framework that has worked and survived one of the worst financial crises in history without government bailouts or subsidies. The foundation, the structure and oversight of our financial system has had a great deal of influence on its strength. But what happens at the ground level in the management of the financial institutions themselves is equally important and in fact, very important to our success. Canadian banks have an undisputed record of good, prudent management that has been built over a period of many decades. And if you forgive me, I'll use Scotiabank as an example. You know, we've been in business for 177 years. Our bank has survived the ups and downs 
of many, many business cycles and more than a few crises. But our revenue is earned from retail, commercial, and corporate customers, as well as investment banking and trading. The latter is important, but it is not a large part of our total revenue and doesn't dominate the business model. Our business model, along with the other Canadian banks, is fundamentally different from several of the US and the European banks who were driven and dominated by investment banking and trading, and which in many respects was at the core of their own financial problems. They took risks that were too large in order to drive short-term profitability. As I said, we are more of a traditional banking model, which is ensured in accountability and good risk underwriting. We have a strategy of originating good assets, primarily loans, with known risks, and we generally hold these loans rather than securitizing and moving them off the books. And it's very important to note that no government regulation or policy prohibited us from using securitization for the sale of assets or from investing in what we call the toxic assets, U.S. subprime, mortgages, CDOs, and so on. We chose the Canadian banking industry not to do so because of our own unease at the risks. And while OSFI prudently regulated us to higher capital ratios, Canadian banks voluntarily chose to hold much higher capital than our international peers and higher than OSFI's own standards. Our approach to risk is that we think of it in very holistic terms, which encompass credit and market risks, operational risks, and embodies accountability. Scotiabank's success is based on the diversification of several sustainable revenue streams, internal checks and balances, and the strong embedded risk culture of accountability with caution. Revenue and profitability take into effect the costs of the risks in our pricing of our products and in our compensation. We are diversified in several ways across all our business lines, all of which produce sustainable, profitable revenue across the many products and services that we offer our customers and across the many geographies in which we operate. And for us, Scotiabank, that's over 50 countries. We also have a very strong internal and external audit and audit culture, underpinning our belief in checks and balances. And our risk, response, uh, risk management responsibility reaches through the entire organization, right to the top, including myself and our board of directors. We also have an independent board and chair. We've had one since 2003 when I took over and we separated the chairman and the CEO functions. All Canadian banks now have a non-executive chair, and in our case, I'm the only management representative on our board. Scotiabank's past three CEOs, which go back to 1972, two years after I joined the bank, myself included, have headed the risk committee of the bank, which reviews all large exposures and all large transactions. We meet at least 
twice a week. And business line heads, several of them in the audience today, as well as our senior risk managers, several in the audience today, are expected to attend regularly. And as my colleagues here will confirm, these are not just meetings held at 10,000 feet. We deal risk by transaction, applying appropriate strategies and policies, but most important, a collective judgment. As well, we have several other committees that permeate the bank, both in Canada and around the globe where we operate and where we conduct business. I'll end here because I don't want to disclose too many details on how we manage risk and give away all our competitive advantage. We've got to keep some, some, some to ourselves. The point is, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to illustrate is Canada and our banks have demonstrated it is possible to have a strong, sound financial system that supports the economy, that can withstand crises, and that sustains healthy and profitable banks. It is a combination of sound government policy and regulation and good management and judgment by the banks themselves. Canada's system does all these things I mentioned, I believe, based on strong values, broad principles, and the exercise of judgment and accountability, not with overly risk-based requirements. It comes down to prudential and balanced management and governance at all levels, at all by all parties, public and private. Right now, there are some very disturbing suggestions that include over-perspective rules that are being put forward in a number of international jurisdictions on how to structure and how to regulate the global financial sector to prevent further crises and strengthen the system for the future. These changes most certainly have to be made. And mistakes were made by all of us. But the risks of overreaction and damaging our return, our re, and, and damaging our return to economic growth are not to be treated lightly. These proposals must be thought through very carefully because the impacts can be significant. We must not try to fix things too quickly or to, or to risk the probability of unintended consequences in restoring growth, which is still very, very fragile everywhere. And certainly for us in Canada, we want to make it clear that our system can always be improved, most definitely, but it is not broken. The remedies to fix the, those systems that are broken may not all be appropriate for us. Going forward, as we rebuild the global financial system and the new regulatory framework, the international regulators and policy centers could really learn a lot from Canada's example of a system that has survived the crisis and survived it in relatively good shape. We need to continue to work together to build a strong, stable system that can and should make improvements in Canada, but be very careful not to fix the parts that are not broken. So with this in mind, I took the liberty of making two broad recommendations. The first is, we must always ensure collaboration of the issues of systemic and idiosyncratic risk amongst the regulators, the policy setters, and the private sectors. And we must allow for big 
and small institutions to fail. We must, but in an orderly and controlled fashion. Most banks are initiating better risk management, better liquidity, better compensation policies. However, these are complicated changes. They take significant resources, senior management time, and extensive system changes. For example, it requires at least several months to plan, design, communicate, and execute complex compensation changes. And because of their complexity, they have not yet been fully implemented in, by many participants. We implemented, implemented changes earlier this year in our compensation practices in Scotia Capital, but that work started in early 2008 and took us well over a year to get it right. Markets, however, though, have responded very quickly now to all, this, all these uh, actions, and in certain markets, indeed, they've, they've created windfall profits for several banks where changes have yet to be implemented. Ultimately, the policies will be implemented and monitored, and the result will be a stronger financial framework. This is especially important in the world of globalization and a world of interconnectedness, and certainly in this time of uncertainty. The crisis showed the degree to which global financial systems were interconnected. It is critical that all parties involved work together to build a new financial framework and address this complex interdependence. We must address moral hazard in the system. It is unfair and an unsustainable model to privatize profits, yet socialize the losses. Taxpayers should not pay. Management should be held accountable, and shareholders should bear the risks. To do this, among many necessary changes, we do need the equivalency of a bankruptcy code, but on an international scale for these interconnected financial institutions, one that is endorsed and hardwired into the international legal and prudential framework. This would include large institutions, but also smaller ones, which have a large degree of interconnectivity. Size is not the only issue. It's how we are interconnected, they are, as we've seen with those small Icelandic banks, which have caused such great damage. The mistake with the collapse of the Lehman Brothers is not necessarily the fact it went under, but there was no way of ensuring that the failure would be orderly and controlled. There was no legal or multi-jurisdictional framework in place. This obviously has to be improved. There must now be renewed global coordination to ensure that solutions are being applied in a right way and a way that creates a level playing field. Regulators, central bankers, political leaders, all must be conscious of how the rules are being interpreted at individuals' jurisdictions and beware of those quick solutions which led to un leads to un unintended consequences. In Canada, we have to do things ourselves. We can improve by adopting a national securities regulator and ensuring that they are part of this collaborating process. As a part of greater collaboration, the private sector and the accounting professions must also be involved. We all know regulatory rules have never and never will prevent a crisis. 
and changes should take into account measures underway by the private sector and banks to address problems identified by this crisis. As is mentioned, I've had the honor of leading a significant work done by the Institute of International Finance, the IIF, which is an association that represents 380 of the world's largest financial institutions to address the private sector best practices in response to this crisis. The financial industry has firmly recognized the need for wide-ranging wide improvements in business practices, and there's been tangible, practice, tangible progress in implementing these recommendations. We will be releasing a report on the progress of these improvements December 9th in New York. Throughout the world, we are seeing a movement towards less leverage, better pricing of risk and liquidity, and better governance by global financial institutions. My other recommendation is that our financial institutions, regardless of any regulatory changes, must ensure a risk culture that includes accountability by all the participants, beginning at the top, including checks and balances, both internally and externally, and based on sound principles and values. I've said this before many times, risk management counts. It's what we do as financial institutions, and we should be doing it well. And those who do it, do it well, are and will be successful. That's what will define our success and separate the winners from the losers. At Scotiabank, we've done this well. Not perfectly, improvements can be made, but well. Canadian banks, in general, have done it well, and certainly better than most. At our bank, we don't think of risk management as a separate division, but rather as a critical part of our entire organization, embedded at all levels, in all business lines, and in all our countries. This is how it must be viewed. We don't think of managing risk as a necessary evil. We think of it as a competitive advantage at our bank. The better we are at it, the more, benefits, the more it benefits us, our customers, our employees, our shareholders, and of course, ultimately, the community at large. We were very proud that the consulting firm Oliver Wyman ranked Scotiabank among the top 10 best performing banks in the world during the worst part of this financial crisis. It doesn't mean that this period wasn't a challenging one for us. It's one I and my colleagues never ever want to go through again. But I think our success being, bring, speaks to the strong emphasis we placed on building our risk culture and our risk management over many, many years. I suggest that it would, be, it would benefit everyone, uh, others, to come and look at our model. So in conclusion, these two broad recommendations I've made are focused on one thing, building a stronger, more resilient financial framework for the future, and contributing to the well-being of individuals and to our collective standards of living. Bankers are not evil, despite what you may have heard, <laughs> but mistakes were made. I suggest that we look at fixing the mistakes and closing the gaps, which were lapsed, and we should look at our successes, what worked, why it worked, and what we can learn from it. And the world can learn from the Canadian example. 
a good, sound, and profitable system like ours is the best defense against further crises, which undoubtedly will come again. Strong fiscal and monetary policy, balanced regulatory oversight, and prudent policies and judgment by the banks have played and shown this important role. Moving ahead in Canada, we must build upon these strong fundamentals, these proven principles, and not succumb to using solutions being put forward to fix other systems that were severely broken and which are not appropriate for us. For our part at Scotiabank, we will keep working, using our stability and success to improve our practices, to build a better bank, to contribute to strengthen our financial system and our economy. And we will look forward to the new opportunities that this brings here in Canada and around the world. We do understand we have a role to play in the greater economy. We will continue to work with our customers during very difficult times, especially those in the hardest hit sectors. And we must continue to provide access to credit at competitive rates. We will also continue to, to work with our customers to grow and to seek out opportunities that exist in this new norm. Our regulators and political leaders must continue to work together to do so as well. Scotiabank is an international company based in Canada, and we have tremendous faith, faith in our people, our government, and our businesses in Canada, and faith in the people and the economies in the 50 countries where we operate. As I travel around the world, I see the Canadian brand, the awareness the awareness of a true Canadian identity, and it has never been stronger. I have every confidence that Canada will continue to set an example in the world and to be an important part of the future success of the global economy and in building better lives for all of us. But we must, business and government, seize this unique opportunity. So yes, Canada, we have the opportunity to take our place in the world, in banking, in other industries as a uniquely Canadian model that has led to a well-managed country based on sound principles and sound values. This can be our century. Sir Wilford was right. His timing was just a little bit off. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, um, thank you very much, Rick. I'd now like to call on Irene David, Director of the Canadian Club, to come to the podium and thank our speaker. Thank you, Rick, for joining us today and being kind to the accountants in the room. For many, many years now, Scotiabank has been a model of fiscal responsibility and reliability and sound practices. But in your leadership of the organization, you've done more than ensure its reputation for smart, safe money management. Scotiabank is also known to be one of Canada's most engaged corporate citizens, contributing to the communities in which it operates all over the world in a wide variety of areas. Here at home, that involvement amounted to $43 million in donations in 2008. 
In fact, Scotiabank operates one of Canada's largest philanthropic organizations, supporting social services, the arts, health and educational programs, and more, all across the country, especially for children and youth. And we understand that the importance of giving back to the community is something that you personally model at Scotiabank, Rick. You're known for your own volunteer work with some of the most respected charitable organizations, the United Way of Toronto, Catalyst, the MS Society, and St. Michael's Hospital, to mention just a few. Thank you again for sharing your insights with us today and for being an example to the world of Canadian banking and leadership at its best. Thanks, Rick. Thank you, Irene, and thank you again, Mr. Raw, for your, uh, your words, and thank you, Ernst & Young, for making this event possible. This concludes our television programming live from Rogers, which will be broadcast, obviously, now and, uh, and in future uh, uh, days and uh, times to come. We are grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for their continued uh, promotion of the Canadian Club events. This meeting is now adjourned. Thank you all for coming. <laughs>